Well, usually our floor manager, Kelvin, does these show intros, but today it's me because I'm not hosting today. One of our Takeover Melinda's hosting chair contest winners is hosting today, Blessing Oluloto, and I can't wait for you to meet her, learn from her and her guests about deconstructing one's faith, working through the doubts, to then reconstruct one's faith in a deeper and more meaningful way. I can't wait for this conversation. Let's go. Welcome to See Here Love. I'm your host, Melinda. Hold up. <laughs> Sorry, Melinda, but today I'm going to be the host. <laughs> right blessing. Yes, you are, because you are one of our winners of our Takeover Melinda's hosting chair, which I'm so thrilled that you won one of the four spots. Tell me quickly, why did you apply to be me? Well, no, be a host of See Here Love. Oh, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity, and I couldn't let it pass. Okay, I love that. So, Blessing, a little bit about you so that our viewers and listeners really connect with you before you start hosting the show. Yeah, so I'm a student at Redeemer University. I currently run a blog that gives lived advice to um, international students in Canada. Um, yeah, and I'm a lover of Jesus and all things missions. So this is, this is a great opportunity to uh, share the gospel and share things concerning the church um, on, on set. So I'm excited. Oh, you're after my, my own heart. I love that. And then finally, you have brought to us today a topic that is big mm -hmm. and necessary. Mm -hmm. Deconstruction of faith to reconstruction. Why this theme blessing yeah. for your show? Yeah, I, I think it happens to a lot more people than um, we, we think. Uh, we all face moments in our lives where doubts and questions really threaten whether or not we would like to keep in the faith. So I just wanted to bring it out and just say that it is okay for us to discuss the hard things. It is okay for us to admit that there are times where we really do question our faith and whether we want to maintain it. Mm -hmm. um, and that as a body of Christ, there is hope for us to grow and reconstruct together. Um, so I'm, this is my hope yes. for today. And I can see that it's your passion. We are so excited for you. We are cheering you on. Mm -hmm. I think I'm taking my cue from Calvin, our floor manager, that I got to get off right now because <laughs> you are now, blessing, the host of See Here Love. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Do you remember that moment in elementary school when you discovered that your teacher didn't live in the classroom or <laughs> that the magical work of the tooth fairy was actually your mother's doing? Deconstruction is a part of life and learning and growing. But what happens when we discover things about our lived reality and the world that doesn't fully coincide with the things that we believed about God or faith? Today, we will be dipping our toes together into the subject of deconstruction. And Dr. Josh DeKaiser and Addison Bevere will help us understand what deconstruction is and why it happens. We will hear from Eunice Slanwa, who will share her lived experience in the thick of it all. And lastly, we will chat with AJ Soboda about why we might be adverse to it as Christians and what we can do as the body of Christ to support and move forward towards reconstruction.
Hello, Addison Bevere. Your book explores the truth that scripture describes us as saints. So how might deconstruction play a role in becoming a saint? Yeah, I mean, it's funny to me the way we talk about deconstruction today. It's like it's a new thing. Mm. But the reality is the church has always undergone deconstruction in some sense. And it's typical for people to want to get outside of the church and deconstruct from the outside. But if you study church history, prophetic disruption or deconstruction always comes from within and wow. never comes from without. It's only from those who understand the nuances of what it means to be a part of the church, a part of the people of God, who are able to deconstruct in a way that reconstructs us toward the heart and the purposes of God. Wow. So if you've never felt that tension as a follower of Christ, I would say, hey, I think you need to lean into the majesty and otherness of God, because in doing so, we, we lean into a mystery that requires us to be discontent with cheap answers, cheap truth and powerless sentiments, which a lot of people today are living off of those things. So how can the church find unity through deconstruction? Yeah. Well, if you look at church history and you look at the major splits, the major schisms in the church, uh, they all revolve or center upon this idea of the otherness of God. Mm -hmm. In a sense, like we venture into the holiness of God. We venture into areas where we're not experts mm -hmm. and we start thinking small, we shrink back and we manufacture these partial truths and then we polarize ourselves, getting in camps that oppose each other, and we fight over our partial understandings of God. Wow. And so if you look at, well, look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about this idea of we know in part, we prophesy in part, and there's a humility that comes with the awareness that we are not God. And because we are not God, we need each other. We need the life. We need the light. We need the revelation that God is expressing through relationship and in relationship. And that's why Jesus prays in John 17 that we would know a unity that's not a unity through sameness, not a unity through assimilation. It's a unity through honor. It's a unity that leans into the glory of God's otherness. And by doing so, we can become a mature church. So these ideas that tap into the otherness of God, things like, is it is it you know sovereignty versus free wills, things like the triune nature of God, things like uh, the idea of are we individually God's temple or are we collectively as the church God's temple? These ideas that have polarized the church in years past, if we come together and stand in the majesty of, of these ideas and not think dualistically, but think in a way that leads us to a greater truth, then we will find ourselves unified as a church. Wow. And there's been so much dualistic thinking and so much either or thinking over the years that, that, um, that we haven't been able to realize that place of enlightenment and unity as a church. Thank you so much for that. I think my takeaway from this conversation is that we ought not to be uh, afraid of deconstruction. And in fact, it is like with the verse from Paul, it is um, a, a form of humility to admit that our knowledge is limited because we are dealing with a God that is so other. Um, and as yes. the church, this is our glory and this is uh, something worth celebrating. Um, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> So good blessing, thank you. I'm thoroughly excited to be discussing with writer Dr. Josh de Kaiser, all the way from the Netherlands. He currently runs a blog called After God's End, where he explores topics regarding the future for Christianity in our secular age.
Thank you, Josh, for being here with us. So um, your blog post titled Faith Deconstruction, What It Is and How It Works, was very helpful for me, actually, to understand um, what happens when a person deconstructs and what we mean by deconstruction. So for our audience who may have not read the article, uh, what would you say is the two-minute description and explanation of deconstruction. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, by the way, Blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an honor to be on your program. Um, the, the cheeky answer here is that there is no two-minute version of deconstruction um, beca because deconstruction is a very deep process that, um, and especially face deconstruction, um, is sort of a lengthy struggle that takes many years with your own assumptions and your own uh, belief system uh, mm -hmm. that forever have been the foundation of, of your life. So it, it's hard to give a two-minute version, yet I'm going to try. And, and people uh, who deconstruct, there's often an emotional part, um, a doctrinal issue, and there's an ethical issue. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was a traumatic experience. I started uh, questioning uh, my faith or questioning my assumptions in my faith. And then as I was studying really hard to become a good theologian, um, I started having issues with the doctrine as well, with the, the idea of the inerrancy of scripture, with the doctrine of hell, um, with, with the idea of the Bible as the word of God, not the claim in itself, but the way it functioned. Um, and, and especially the absoluteness, the, the, the absolute claims of truth became more and more problematic. And then there's the ethical issue. And I would say that eventually the ethical issues really propelled me into this process of deconstruction. So what I noticed in my seminary, it was actually my second year of seminary where I suddenly opened up my eyes toward the reality of racism in, uh, in the United States. And um, it was kind of a shock. I suddenly, I suddenly saw how it worked and how I was implicated myself and how as a, as a white person coming from Europe, I had an easier life than my black classmates who were born in the United States, who were United, um, American citizens. Then things started cascading. I couldn't stop the process anymore. And I had to figure out a way of, of figuring it all out of, and, and I think in my, initial process, what I wanted to do is actually maintain the Christian faith and mm -hmm. hold on to it and hold on to Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, I had to um, expose the, the racism and all the nonsense and I had to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. What now is your or was your uh, journey to reconstruction or have you achieved reconstruction at, at all or? I did. I think I, I did so, but um, maybe it's helpful to say to um, say something about the word deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Deconstruction is not the same as destruction. Mm -hmm. So deconstruction is uh, is a term that was coined by a French philosopher Jacques Derrida, and um, he was an amazing um, analyzer of texts, 
And he realized that people construct their reality by means of words and by, by means of, of texts. And we interpret our reality. And he became a specialist at sort of unpacking those layers of, of, of construction. But he never was the person to say, let's destroy everything. He never was the person to say, well, I can take a superior vantage point and look at your stuff, whether you're a believer or a Westerner or whatever, um, and look at your stuff and then destroy it and say, poof, it's all nonsense. Because the only way we can create meaning as human beings is by constructing a reality with words. That's how we assign meaning to the world. So Derrida said, as I am unpacking that stuff, I'm also at the same time building it up. I'm reassembling it. So you have deconstruction combined with construction. And that's how you get the word deconstruction. And that helps Derrida, but it also helps a lot of uh, deconstructing Christians to not simply become super, uh, well, no, I guess there's a lot of anger and rage, and I, I, I experience it too. But it's not just um, a destructive process. It is a mm -hmm. sort of unpacking the layers of thinking and mm -hmm. wondering where it comes from and why people think like this or like that, and then to find a way through it. And so for me personally, I did not want to get rid of my faith. Um, I, find the, I found the idea of jettison, jettisoning God out of my worldview very, a very scary thing to do. Um, I think about it differently now, but then I found it, that was not the, the thing I wanted to do. And so after my master's, I went for a PhD at a more liberal uh, seminary. And and I decided to work with the theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm -hmm. uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a theologian who's actually pretty famous in North America. Um, but he was a German theologian during the Second World War. And because of his resistance against the Nazis, he, um, uh, he was killed. He was hanged just before Nazi Germany was liberated by the Allied forces. And... Um, so I, I started delving into Bonhoeffer's theology. And for Bonhoeffer's theology, I needed to go back to Luther because Bonhoeffer is a Lutheran theologian. And so going back all the way to Martin Luther, the, the instigator of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, I had a few, oh my God, moments where I realized that the heart of what the Reformation is about is so very different from my Reformed evangelical upbringing. So that was my process of reconstructing things. And uh, it, it, the theology of Luther is often called theology of the cross because it doesn't uh, center a God who is powerful, um, omnipotent, and uh, who is not a sovereign king over the, over, uh, the world, but it centers the cross of Christ mm -hmm. and a God who suffers with the world. And so once you make that move, things completely change. And so that was my way, uh, initially especially, to reconstruct my theology and say, look, no, I, I can do faith that way. Mm -hmm. That is a more, more sincere, more realistic way that circumvents all these absolute truth claims that are untenable. Yeah, uh, that's so, so powerful. The whole process of going back to the origins so to say, yeah. um, I think, yeah, one of the reasons why we wake up is somehow like when you um, are a young child and you discover that Santa's actually not real. 
And then you say, okay, why is Santa not real? Where are these presents coming from? And then you discover, oh, it's actually my father that puts the presents underneath the Christmas tree. So I think in the same way, too, with our faith um, deconstruction, if we if we are open, um, it leads us to the origins of uh, our faith. Um, there, there, there's a scary part to this blessing because if you take deconstruction seriously, and so if you realize and see that all meaning that we uh, assign to the world is constructed by ourselves, then we also have to say, oh, wait, so my image of God is basically a constructed image. Mm. Uh, so my whole, my God is basically a construct of my Western religion. And um, even though it's based on the biblical text in many ways, it is also definitely um, constructed out of components that are just part of the worldview that I assumed was right. Mm -hmm. So that is a very scary point. And so a lot of people who deconstruct at this point become atheists. um, And others realize um, that behind the gods we construct, there is still the reality that calls us or that whispers to us, that calls us into being. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it doesn't erase God, but it is rather scary to realize that whatever we say about God is always a constructed thing. But the, the, the wonderful thing is that in, in a way, it really syncs with the Old Testament prophet call to abandon the idols. Mm-hmm. And so deconstruction is really, if, if done well, it can be a movement of uh, a prophetic movement against the idols that we have erected. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Freedom from idolatry. That's, that's a possibility of deconstruction. That's so hopeful to be, be become free from idolatry and, and maybe encounter the, the real God um, in all his otherness. And uh, yeah. So uh, those are the questions I have for you today, and I'm so glad that you uh, joined us uh, for this brief moment. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wish you every blessing on your endeavors. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Check out the See Here Love podcast and get the backstory. Good job. Get the inside scoop on real issues and real answers on common challenges we all face in relationships and in life. Find See Here Love on Apple Podcasts. From the host of See Here Love, Melinda Estabrooks and 50 of her guests and friends comes the book Always Know, full of stories of lives that are inspiring, wise, and life-changing. God hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears the longing for connection. He hears the cries of pain that you're experiencing, and He loves you deeply. This month, with your ministry gift of $25 or more, or when you become a new monthly donor, request your copy of Always Know. It is a collection of stories to help you today in the things that you're struggling with, the things that you are confronted with. And I know that these stories will encourage you. Call 1-800-265-3100 or visit seeherelove.com slash alwaysknow and request your copy. See Here Love is where you are. Find our hopeful and inspiring faith stories on your favorite platform and encouraging content daily on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more and stay updated, sign up for our newsletter on seeherelove.com.
As was common for Korean immigrant families, I was brought up in a Korean Presbyterian church. My mom taught Sunday school, and as a child, I was regularly put on stage to either recite songs or prayers memorized in Korean or play the part of Virgin Mary at Christmas time. Years later, I was discipled through Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God curriculum. And remember that in between step four, where God speaks through his spirit, and step six, where you must make major life adjustments to join God's work, there was step five. God's invitation always involves a crisis of faith for you. Crisis of faith and doubt are a part of the Christian life. We see doubt throughout all of the Bible, displayed by ordinary people to extraordinary leaders, including some of Jesus' relatives and closest disciples. There have been many crises of faith since my early young adult years. Painful abuses of power within the church brought a season of doubt in my 20s, where I questioned whether my faith was even real. Enrolling in seminary in my 30s was another awakening moment, and learning to read and understand scripture beyond a devotional experience. I remember having more questions than I had answers for. But each time, and even still, I was unable to deny the presence and power of God through real encounters I've had with His Spirit. Undeniable miracles, healing, and relational restoration that apart from God is impossible. A friend of mine once told me, there's a crack in everything. It's how the light gets in. The process of doubt invites taking things apart, holding it up, and asking God to examine it, then returning to the source. Do not be discouraged. Take the time and space that's needed, trusting that Jesus awaits you with his infinite patience and love. What are aspects of your faith where you're experiencing doubt? Jesus doesn't react to our doubt or crisis of faith, but rather presents his truth in his way, in his time. As Eugene Peterson wrote about the journey of discipleship, it's less quick fixes and more of a long obedience in the same direction. Be encouraged, friends. And joining in on the conversation, we have Eunice Slanwa, a friend and budding professional in the field of architecture, currently getting her master's in architecture at the University of Princeton in New York. She too is walking through the journey of deconstruction. Here's the conversation that we had. So thank you so much, Eunice, for being here with us. Um, we're happy to have you. So. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so yeah, we're just going to start out with, um, yeah, give us um, a brief description of what your journey through deconstruction has been like at the moment. Uh, so I, I don't think there's a clear moment where I can say, oh, this started um, like at this exact day, but I just noticed a gradual process, especially leaving like the close-knit missionary community and church community I've grown up in and like moving to the United States and starting university and meeting people that expressed um, different beliefs. Last year, I did an internship in Holland, Michigan, and that was, I would say, my first time totally outside of that bubble. And I met a lot of different people and um, I met people who had been Christians who are no longer Christians, people who are Christians and people who are not like they, that wasn't part of um, their upbringing. And so that led to so many interesting conversations. It made me start to question my faith in ways that I hadn't like thought to question it before. Okay. So 
I, I think that's awesome that you gained exposure to a world outside of the Christian community. So mm. what specifically about Christianity or your faith? What, let's say, what are some core things that got challenged for you? I, in college, I took a philosophy class. And in that class, we like studied feminist hermeneutics and how, you know, the Bible going through the perspective, like going through the hands of like a very, like, going through the hands of men has mm-hmm. changed in certain ways that they present certain information that excluded women. And so that just opened up so many questions. Like if that's happening, like what other things are being excluded? What, what interpretations have the, the church fathers, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of passed down from years to years and like, mm-hmm. is that in line with God's love Mm-hmm. Or is that the Bible through the hands of flawed humans that have then created this interpretation that's excluding people from? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Tough things to think about, but I think very important because if we do want to uh, understand and own our faith, we have to come in contact and come to face uh, the hard questions. What has been your interactions with fellow believers who may not be going through deconstruction um, with you, uh, what has been some of your discoveries when you confess perhaps to a fellow uh, (laughs) believer that, oh yes, uh, I am having these questions. And then what would your hope be for the church going forward? It's kind of assumed that like faith is a given. So like, why would you ask these, like, of course, the love of God, you know, it's, it's kind of, there's a lot of like Christianese, mm-hmm. like, like, you don't need to doubt this or, oh, this doubt that you're having is, you know, oh, it's, it's there, it happens and I'll pray for you. And, and those are, those are great, you know, things to say, but I think that sometimes it's not helpful because even as a Christian someone who believes I have those doubts and I think going through that and like having a space for it is good and it also helps me relate to people who are atheists who didn't grow up in church who haven't been hearing all these things their entire lives and so then I can tell them hey these doubts that you're having, I actually also have them. Yeah. But I also still believe for these reasons. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I think, yeah, it's important, even though it is quite scary to have to question something that is so valuable, um, which is our Mm -hmm. faith. But like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's important to do these things if we want to really own it. And like you said, it, it's, it's an opportunity for us to understand how perhaps somebody who doesn't share our faith, how they might see our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I, I greatly appreciate your insight. Um, and I'm so thankful that you had this uh, opportunity to share with us um, how to move forward as a community um, and individually. So yeah, I hope that our listeners are encouraged Um by what we've shared here today. Uh, and I wish you every blessing, uh, Eunice, as you go yeah. on your journey. And Thank you. Uh, 
continue to explore and discover more about your faith and what you truly believe about it. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. What happens when we discover things about our faith that aren't true or consistent with the world around us? What do we do when these evidences push us into a sea of doubt? What is the way forward to reconstruction? I have here with me AJ Swoboda, author of the book, After Doubt. AJ is also a pastor and leads a doctor of ministry program about the Holy Spirit and leadership at Fuller Seminary. AJ, thank you so much for being with us here today. Um, your book, After Doubt, pushes the reader to consider the possibility that doubts are not only a threat, but also an opportunity uh, for a vibrant Christian faith. So how can we walk faithfully through doubt uh, and come out the other side with a deeper and truer faith? That's a great question, Blessing, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, I mean, when I um, I spent the better part of, frankly, 10 years, both in pastoral work, but also as a, as a professor wrestling with these questions around doubt. And what I find is that for a lot of Christians and for a lot of followers of Jesus, we don't understand doubt as a legitimate place in which to encounter God. And so the premise of this book is that doubt is actually something we most often, many of us walk through at some point, and that God wants to meet us right in the middle of it. Uh, and I argue, essentially, that the story of Thomas in the Bible is a, a beautiful paradigm or a beautiful way to think about uh, the story of doubt. And what we do is we have a guy who had a really hard time believing in the resurrection, um, but he stuck around and he encounters the resurrected Jesus and eventually becomes the first missionary to go to India. Yeah. I actually think at the end of the day, um, doubt is a very difficult experience. Mm but it is a legitimate experience. Mm. And that often we need to see it as a place that God wants to encounter us. Wow, wow, thank you. I would love to hear a little bit more of your story, uh, perhaps in detail, mm. how yeah, you came to learn that there is a difference between good deconstruction and bad deconstruction. Mm. Yeah, well, I wasn't raised, um, I wasn't raised in the church blessing. I, I actually met Jesus when I was 16 years old in high school, I was actually in my math class in high school, and I overheard these two girls arguing about when Jesus was coming back. They'd been reading this book called the Left Behind series. <laughs> and uh, I actually went home. I'd never heard the story of Jesus. I went home and uh, opened my Bible. And my dad had given me his Bible, and I read the Bible, and I, and I had an encounter with God. Wow. And just like many 16-year-olds who meet their, you know, you know, who have an encounter with Jesus and uh, begin their faith journey, Years later, you know, you begin to reflect mm -hmm. on those early years of your faith. And, you know, for example, going to seminary for me um, was a beautiful experience, but it was also very difficult because I began to see that, you know what, there were some things mm -hmm. that I wasn't thinking super biblically about, you know, that I, I wasn't, yeah. uh, I hadn't fully kind of captured what scripture has to say. You know, I'm 39. There's things right now that still keep me up at night that I don't have answers to. Mm -hmm. Um but I still love Jesus in the middle of it. Mm. And at whatever point it was that we bought this idea that following Jesus required certainty. Um, I don't know where that came from because to follow Jesus, we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. And there are times that we don't have all of our, our, our answers, our question, questions answered. Yeah. And we are permitted in the midst of our questions to follow Jesus. That's our call. Mm. That's our call. Wow. 
There's so many parts I could go into, like the concept of church leadership. Um, how can we, as people of God, um, engage with people who are deconstructing um, to mm -hmm. help them perhaps through that journey of discerning what is God versus what is the image of God that we've created? That's an excellent question. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to people who have walked through doubt or deconstruction, as I have in years past, is to be really patient mm. and to be really kind and merciful and to not see them as a problem, but to see them for all their potential. You know, Thomas, who walked through the season of doubt, nobody knew he'd become a missionary. <laughs> we often think of doubters as a problem. Mm. I think we should start seeing them as missionaries. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's so powerful. Seeing doubters as potentials for missionaries and not problems. Thank you so much for, yeah, just that revelation. <laughs> this has been a delight and I'm very grateful for having you here with me today. Thank you. Absolutely, thank awesome. you. Such an important conversation that we're having today. I'm coming to you from my new neighborhood called Regent Park. And in Regent Park in Toronto, if you don't know, has had a bad reputation. So much so, they had to literally deconstruct the entire neighborhood. They're tearing it down to rebuild. There's been poverty and violence and crime and just oppression in this neighborhood. And it's in part because of the way it was built, the way it was designed. And so tearing it down and reconstructing is actually the only way forward. Maybe that's actually where you're at with your faith. You're deconstructing. It says in Amos 5, uh, starting at verse 21, God is speaking, saying, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes and your public relations and image making. I've had all I can of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want, God says. You know, and if that's where you're at, God is saying, yes, tear down what is broken, what is toxic, what is sinful, immoral in the church, what needs to be deconstructed, deconstruct it. But my friends, don't stop there. Maybe you're feeling like it says in Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you feel poor in spirit? Do you feel like there's not a lot left in you? There's not a lot of money in the bank spiritually in terms of being able to invest and give yourself. But it says, blessed are you if you're feeling poor, impoverished in spirit, let down and discouraged by faith because the kingdom of heaven is yours. My friends, rebuild this kingdom. Don't just deconstruct, reconstruct, reimagine a kingdom for all tribes, all people, all nations to know the love, justice, and mercy of God. Friends, deconstruction is real and it is prevalent in our Christian communities now more than ever. My hope for you is that as you either venture into this season of doubt or are witnessing another person who's breaking apart their faith, know this, it is a season. Just as winter is only for a time and then comes spring, realize that all things, even deconstructions, work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Deconstruction is not something to hide or to be ashamed of, but something we can give to God, 
asking that he use it to allow us to see him more nearly, hear him more clearly, and love him more dearly. If you have any questions or want more resources, please visit our website at seehearlove.com, as well as recordings of this show, visit our YouTube channel at See Here Love. And remember, you are seen, heard, and loved by God. Bye bye for now. I feel amazing. Oh, <laughs> Overwhelmed. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherlove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.